Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Tomorrow's News. Today, we have invited a very special guest, Ronnie Green, to join us on the show. Ronnie grew up in Sydney and spent the past 12 years in Hong Kong working for investment bank JP Morgan and Hong Kong hedge fund Primus Asset Management. So we're very excited to have Ronnie, hopefully as a regular guest on our show, to add more of an Australian macro perspective to our discussion. Hi, Ronnie. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Hi, Gavin. Hey, great to have you on, Ronnie. We're going to talk about Australia today, but in general, I spend about like 1% of my time thinking about Australia. Lucy reminds me every time that what people that listen to this podcast really want to hear about is Australia, even though a lot of them are not Australian. So we're going to talk about Australia, at least this time, maybe another time. But I know that you certainly have a global macro perspective and uh, look forward to your thoughts. But it's an interesting time and very timely, as we caught up prior to this, that Australia seems to be going in the opposite direction from certainly the U.S., perhaps others might even argue the rest of the world in terms of peak inflation. Obviously, so a big print earlier this week, now it's 7.8% annual. Mm -hmm. The, The RBA had sort of been wondering Will they pause? People wondering, you know, where were we on the continuum? But it's been a big print. And I guess it brings into the question, one that we seem to be answering in the U.S. of, yes, it's the peak, or we've seen the peak, to, is this the peak print? So I guess over to you, Ronnie, like, (laughs) you saw the print earlier this week, bonds move, but is this the peak print, or do we have more of this to come? What do you think? You know what? I think people thought that last month was the peak print, and we got a bigger print last quarter, we got a bigger print this month. So look, I think we're probably, the answer is we're probably behind the US by a quarter or two. And I think if you look historically, it's been the case. So I think the demand-led resurgence has been a little bit behind the US. You know, we didn't have as much stimulus as the US as an example. So maybe we're a little bit, bit further behind. But yeah, it's really, you know, the RBA was supposed to be on hold in February. Now it seems almost certain they'll hike 25 and yeah. the markets, you know, push the Aussie dollar up almost a full cent on yields are moving higher even as we speak. So, look, I think, Gavin, I mean, I know you've been all over this peak inflation narrative. And I think this was a kick in the guts to that narrative. You know, like the market just wasn't expecting this print, which yeah. was unexpectedly high. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when I when I look at the composition of it, I think it's a composition that those of us who live in Australia and are just going about our lives can respect. And the first one is, and I do wonder if this is transitory, and I like to use that phrase because it's just become so punchy. Domestic travel, travel and hospitality, up 7.5% Yeah. quarter. Qantas airfares are so ridiculous. Everybody's observed this. There aren't enough flights. Are we seeing some elements, maybe a little like used cars were, are we seeing some elements that are truly of a time and will quickly dissipate? Or is your view that there's something more entrenched? 
I think the good side of things, just to put that aside, I think that's clearly, you know, peaked. I think that's, you know, we might even get some deflation from that area, you know, like I think, you know, all that supply chain stuff's mostly resolved. So, you know, if you look at the bigger part of the picture, it's services and and wages as part of services. And you're absolutely right. I think, you know, domestic travel was up over 10%, the inflation within domestic travel. Gavin, you just came back from North America. You know, things over there were up 7%. I think part of it's currency, but yeah, it's transitory, I would say. You know, there's a lot of demand destruction will occur from these, you know, from these super high prices and it's not sustainable, that's for sure. Everyone I speak to is complaining about the cost of international travel and domestic travel. So yeah, I think this is not sustainable, but, you know, I think, you know, the more sticky part of the inflation narrative around general services, things like, you know, electricity prices, you know, that type of stuff is more of the worry. And, you know, I think the print really puts that into perspective. And I think it's just going to be a a bit of a slower grind back down to that 2 to 3% mandatory inflation target of the RBA. And that's probably more of the concern that we're seeing here. Yeah. You know, I saw some of the banks commenting, and I think people in the US have thought about this of, you know, do we ever get back to 2 to 3%? I think in the US, in my own view, it's a lock. In fact, I think it's as likely that we see deflation prints before too long. And they could be really interesting because mathematically it's not, not hard, but Australia's in a different spot. And so I guess one of the things that contributes to my concern about the inflation dynamic is that we've just reopened China. So you're going to have eventually an input, perhaps the mid-late part of this year from you know hospitality and accommodation and a return of Chinese tourism and so forth. You've clearly got an economy that, you know, an Australian government that seems to be very keen to normalize relationships, which is going to be fantastic for Australian domestic producers of everything from wine to coal to whatever. All of those things are do create inflation. We don't have massive immigration. Do you think we're really in, we could be headed well beyond 4% in terms of a peak RBA? What's your view? Look, I think I'll tell you what the market's pricing to put into perspective. So I think the market doesn't think we get to 4% just yet. So we priced in another, you know, 25 basis points. So we're still still a little bit below four. I think there is a case to get to 4%. And, you know, you look where the Fed's going to be, they might get to 5% on their uh, benchmark rate. So look, I think that's the risk. The risk is to the upside. The market's priced in a very, very dovish RBA. And you know, I think the trouble with the RBA here is it's become hugely political, you know, just given their track record of forecasting inflation, um, you know, kind of alluding to kind of low rates for a lot longer. And they're in a tricky spot. Um, you know, I think what's interesting as part of the inflation print and just moving China aside for now is that you can see housing's really slowed down. I think, you know, as part of the inflation print, that dwelling section of the CPI has come down. So, you know, that is the most interest sensitive pocket of the economy. That and autos, you know, just are yeah. very sensitive to the cost of debt, right? So, you know, that's taking effect. And, you know, it's just how long it will take for this kind of services sector to kind of react to these higher rates. And yes, China coming along will kind of increase demand for services as well. So I think it is a tricky time politically for the RBA. You know, like I said, they need to get inflation back down to 3%. And if 
you know, if their forecasts show that it's not going to happen until 2025, I think people are going to start asking a lot of questions. Yeah. It brings in the question, you know, perhaps pulling back a little bit. We've seen sort of an odd phenomenon, Australia, Canada, the US, around housing. We saw asset prices from 2020 through to the end of 2022 accelerate remarkably under any measure, metric or whatever. Now, whether you know people thought that those prices may hold or not, I think the question comes in, where do they fall to? And coming back to the RBA for a moment, you know, housing being such a critical element politically, what happens when you start holding rates higher? It's clearly going to be going to be higher for longer. What happens in terms of mortgage resets? What happens in terms of the housing sector in Australia, construction? What do you think we need to be thinking about and observing as we look at this as we look at this market? Yeah, look, I think the reality of the situation is the RBA rate at low threes, inflation's well above that. So you've still got like this really easy money scenario. And yes, I know that you know mortgage rates are super high and there's a lot of leverage in the system on the mortgage side. But clearly the RBA is not strong enough at the moment in terms of demand destruction. Yeah. And they're going to have to walk a very fine precipice to kind of not knock the housing sector off kilter. You know, already housing prices have come down significantly. And to be honest, you know, worries me more than housing prices is more the stability of the banking side. You know, like they've got huge amounts of mortgages on their books and, you know, it's a very high housing price economy. So that's a worry. And I'm sure the RBA is trading a very fine line what they want to do here to kind of, you know, not push housing prices down too much so we can get a kind of soft landing here. And, you know, I'd say of all the central banks, the RBA has one of the toughest jobs to do here. Um, I kind of, I don't know if you can see my screen here, but yeah, yeah, this is where we are in terms of 2023, in terms of what the RBA is expected to do by the market. So we're at three point, you know, a little bit below 3.8% for the peak rate. So we're about 3.1 now, and this is priced in an extra one hike. And as you can see here, the market's actually starting to, well, has already priced the market to kind of start, the the RBA to start cutting rates towards the end of the year. So, you know, just given the CPI print, I just wonder if that's going going to stay elevated for the rest of 2023 with no cuts. So, you know, I think there's um, higher for longer has very interesting implications. And, And I think it's, the most interesting in places like Australia and Canada, where housing has been, you know, the U.S. consumers are actually underlevered by mm-hmm. a remarkable degree as it relates to housing relative to Canada and Australia. But as it relates to Australia, it's funny. I don't worry about banks anymore globally, other than maybe Credit Suisse. But I don't worry about banks. I do worry about BlackRock and KKR and private debt. And all the folks that tell me that they're basically making easy money on first mortgages because the surprise almost always comes from the shadow banking sector in some way, shape, or form. And it just feels like if there's a risk, that's where it might emerge. Now, I could well be wrong uh, there, but certainly as it relates to debt predicated on, you know, residential property prices, that feels the most tense to me. I I don't know if you have a worldview that's similar or or markedly different. 
Yeah, look, I think the Aussie market is just, you know, it's very much that LVR metric and the kind of the great property returns over the last couple of years. It's hard to see that kind of continuing. So, yeah, I think the RBA and Aussie banks will be totally fine with this. You know, they'll do a good job in terms of a soft landing is my view, but I think it just might be a bit tougher than people expect. And I think, you know, like you said, in the US, I think they've just been through this with a subprime crisis. So their, um, you know, their consumer is not levered up in the housing sector and the banks are certainly in great shape in the US and, and globally, especially Europe. It's funny because being a Canadian, I lived through every cycle of US hedge funds shorting Canadian banks because of housing. It's the ultimate widowmaker trade. It, it's absolutely. It, 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 absolutely the only time it ever worked. Canadian banks actually were, were the among the best performers. Uh, you should have shorted Citigroup and others. But I think it does call the question. You know, what do you think looks interesting here, given the thesis that we may be slightly higher, but we certainly are going to be higher in terms of the Aussie interest rate environment over the next, call it twelve months. What looks interesting thematically to you, Ronnie? In, you know, what should Australian investors, frankly, be thinking about in that context? You know, the market's repriced is 25 basis points. So, you know, like for savers, for people with capital, oh, it's great news. You should be cheering this on, you know, like it's, um, you know, there's more yield out there. You know, the, the risk-free rates have gone up 25 basis points in the last few days. So that's just, you know, almost, that's risk-free money, especially in the front end. I think there's plenty of yield. You know, my worldview is that there probably will be a recession or at least a, a market slowdown in the US. The GDP print came out last night in the US. I'm sure you saw it, Gavin. Mm-hmm. You're, all o- you're all over that. It was better than expected. So, yeah, things aren't too bad. But, you know, on the other hand, credit spreads are not really pricing in, you know, a big recessionary risk here. So I like to keep my powder dry. I like to stay in the short end, take advantage of these high yields and just harvest that yield. And then when things get, you know, cheaper, you know, maybe the front end moves a little bit higher and credit spreads widen out. And then I could harvest another couple of percent for, um, you know, for a fixed income portfolio. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, if, I, that's, I think, the positioning. Yeah. I mean, have credit spreads pretty much done in Australia what they've done in the rest of the world? That has remained remarkably tight given, you know, what has been a pretty choppy period in bonds in general. Yeah, like we see, we saw a bit of widening out. The Aussie market's very high grade. It's a super high grade market. So just predominantly the banks and, you know, the REITs, et cetera. Mm. But yeah, like the Aussie banks are in, you know, really in fantastic shape, strong capital ratios, you know, a strong regulator, et cetera, kind of like the Canadians. So, you know, it's a very strong, strong market. But yeah, like they're not cheap. Like there's a time to just close your eyes and buy credit spreads. And now is kind of not the time in, in my view. Right, right. Well, I think you do need to be attuned to it. And obviously that's part of the skill of sitting in your in your seat. One of the things that I've been banging the drum on is Aussie dollar. I do see I'm less bearish on DXY now than I have been, but I'm certainly very bullish on Aussie dollar for mm-hmm. the year. It feels like we could be making another push back towards even 80 cents, but it's certainly more importantly, it feels like we've seen perhaps the lows of the cycle in that sort of 64 to 66 cent range, again, barring a major risk off of them. Do you have a similar view, different view? How do you think about it for your own portfolio and your own trading? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, firstly, like once that CPI print came out, if you can see the screen here that, you know, the market wasn't expecting it. And, you know, with higher rates for longer in Australia, that pushes the Aussie dollar higher. And I, you know, Gavin, I agree with you. I think we've 
probably seen the lows on the Aussie dollar. You know, it's good for risk assets, right? This is a great sign for risky assets. You know, a strong US dollar is is what? Like it's the wrecking ball of of everything, right? It really sucks the liquidity out of everything. So so this is a real positive sign. In terms of the portfolio, I'll be fully hedged into Aussie dollars. But yeah, like I think from an Aussie dollar perspective, there's more yield now in Australia. If you hedge the US dollar bonds back to Aussie dollar, you'll get a little bit less yield. So it comes into to my mind there. But, you know, the US dollar market is just so enormous and so many opportunities there. You know, it's kind of not so much of a issue for the portfolio. Right. Yeah. I, I think I think your overarching sort of thesis in terms of and we are going to see a, whether or not we've seen the peak, it would, you know, playing it back, whether or not we've seen the peak, we are more likely to be in a higher interest rate environment in Australia for some time to come. I think we, yeah, we're aligned there. And then I guess just just coming back to what you're going to watch for over the next couple of quarters, I think it's pretty much a lock on 25 basis points. Seems very unlikely that wouldn't occur. But what are you going to be watching for as you look at Australian data? What do you think is the big tell here in terms of the direction for inflation? Look, I think it's just wages, right? You know, it's That'll be the key driver of inflation. It always has been, and you know, I think it always will be, you know, from a long-term structural perspective. So just really need to look at the labor market is kind of what I am, you know, keeping my eyes on closely here. You know, I think the Aussie's uh, economy is strong and it's doing well. And, you know, that's good for credit spreads. It's good for recessionary risks are dissipated there if it's a strong economy. But you know, it just means the RBA is gonna have to be, you know, tighter for longer. So yeah, just keep an eye on wages. That's my thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's funny because I'm hearing a lot of cost currents. I use the uh, Bondi hospitality market as my benchmark. My friend Adam, who runs Curly Lewis, said he's seeing 12 applications a day now for jobs when he was, of course, seeing zero. But I'm hearing plenty of people that are, you know, in and around that space across Australia saying it's still really tough and you know it hasn't quite eased up yet. So, but I agree with you. I think you know, much like the U.S. The wage picture is absolutely critical. Look, it does feel like we've peaked in terms of sort of the insanity, if you will, and now we'll go back to normalization uh, in the wage environment. Yeah, look, Gavin, I think, you know, the other thing I'm more focused on than kind of like Aussie CPI, as you said, it's kind of, it's important, but in the global context, Mm. it's kind of, you know, it's a signal. You know, if you look at financial conditions, you know, just broadly, you know, in the U.S., Australia, like they've eased up so much over the past kind of, you know, since I guess October, et cetera. Mm. So there's a real kind of stimulus from a monetary perspective, you know, with the equity markets going up, with treasury yields coming down so significantly, at least at the long end. So, you know, the Fed, the RBA will be looking at stuff like this, thinking, you know, there's real animal spirits out there and they might want to tap the brakes on that. There's a real divergence between, say, the two-year treasury and what the Fed mm-hmm. says they're going to do. So really interesting to see how that, how that plays out. And, you know, when there's big differences between the central bank and the market, usually the market's right. But there's that old adage, don't fight the Fed. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we are back to, you can look at all kinds of metrics. We are back to where we were around Jackson Hole. And uh, now I think it feels like the Fed has moved on from talking about financial conditions, but it's going to need a deft hand here to not have the Fed overreach in terms of trying to dampen down what is sort of a healthy environment if you're trying to create a soft landing, 
but can still quickly get out of hand. And maybe what we'll do is we'll come back in a few weeks and you and I can talk a little bit about, we would have had a Fed meeting behind us, we would have had some more data. We can talk a little bit about the financial conditions, which probably would have changed four or five times between now and then, and just how we're seeing them. Because I've said to some other folks that I don't think 2023 is going to be any less exciting than 2020. We'll look forward to getting Ronnie back on to, to talk through the trials and tribulations. And here's your favorite chart on financial conditions, uh, Ronnie. <laughs> Yeah, it's just my go-to, the Bloomberg financial conditions chart. This is in the US, but you know, really in that like September, this means like tough conditions. And then, you know, things are just getting easier. Above zero is kind of like easy. So so yeah, it's um it's interesting. I think the Fed will be paying attention to this chart, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it'll be we'll have lots to talk about, that's for sure. Well, Ronnie, I sure appreciate you taking the time with us. Hugely useful insights. Uh, it's nice to hear such an educated view. Yeah, let's check in in a few weeks again on perhaps a more global context or unless something exciting happens in Australia, we'll come back to that as well. I look forward to that. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank Ryan. you. Bye.